Remember the movie Toy Story? It's, it's really old. Uh, they're coming out with a Toy Story 4, by the way. I believe in 2018 will be the Toy Story 4. Uh, and if you remember the plot of that movie, uh, Andy is a young boy, and Andy has toys, and the toys in Andy's bedroom pretend to be lifeless every time they're in the presence of people. So these toys have a life of their own. And, and the drama of the story, or the plot, is really that uh, Andy's family is moving, and so Andy's toys are all worried that when they pack up and make a move to a new place, that Andy will forget them, or maybe not bring some of them, or they'll get lost in the shuffle. And then added to the drama is really the bigger story. And the bigger story in Toy Story is that Andy's favorite toy, a uh, upholstering cowboy doll named... Woody is, uh, is, is a little worried. He has some emotional turmoil in the movie because he's afraid that Andy, his owner, who has a new toy that he got for his birthday named Buzz Lightyear, has a new favorite toy named Buzz Lightyear. So we experience the, the whirlwind of emotions on Woody's part and all these lies that he's believing, like Andy doesn't love me anymore, Andy's forgotten about me, uh, Andy has replaced me with someone else, and, just, and then ultimately thinking that Andy isn't, doesn't have his best interests in mind and Andy isn't good. And through the movie we laugh. But here's why we laugh, because there's some truth in this silly fiction that we know to be true in our own hearts. Right? So you think of a person who is dearest to you and closest to you, probably a family person, a family member, maybe a wife or a husband or someone else in your family, a really close friend, a roommate. You and I get emotional in turmoil when, uh, when we wonder if that person maybe doesn't love us as much as they want us to. Maybe they don't text us back when we send them a text. Or maybe they don't do the dishes and we wanted them to do the dishes to show their love for us, right? Or, or they don't arrive at a certain place at a certain time. Or, uh, or they don't behave in a certain way, uh, right? And we just think, oh, they don't, maybe they've, they don't love me anymore. Maybe they've forgotten about me. Maybe they're going to replace me with someone else. We go through those emotions. We even do that with God. So, Woody's fear about Andy neglecting and forgetting about him and replacing him, we apply to other people, we also apply that to God. Here's how it works. When God doesn't answer the prayer your way, the way that you want him to, you, you tend to want to doubt his love for you. You tend to want to doubt that he has your best interests in mind. When God allows some loss or suffering in your life, maybe a spouse or a child died tragically or way too soon, and you experience this loss in your life. People will doubt God's love for them. How can God be a good God if he allows this to happen to me? See, there's any number of circumstances that happen that make us fill Woody's boots and doubt and get an emotional whirlwind and turmoil about whether God is really good and whether he has our best interests in mind. So, here's my goal today. We like to say around Holy Word, God is good all the time. And I want, you, I want you to be able to say that without crossing your fingers behind your back and, and thinking in your mind, I'm, I'm going to believe this when it's convenient for me. 
And I'm going to believe this when, it's, when I understand how good it is for me, but those other times, I don't know if I can say that or believe it. And I want you to believe it and trust it and say it just like it says. God is good all the time. And so what we're going to do today is look at the, this blessing, this threefold blessing, and see how each of the persons of the triune God, our three-in-one God that we're celebrating today, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how good each of them really is in having our best interests in mind and how much you can trust them. All right, so let's start with God the Father. He is the first one to appear in this blessing, where in these words in Numbers chapter 6, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. That means God the Father is good. Uh, remember, if you study the first six days of creation. Remember that account? And throughout the six days of creation, as, as God the Father, is the Almighty, is creating the universe, he steps back during those days sometimes and takes a look at it, and it says, And God saw that it was good. And at the very end... He's created everything. It's all done. And like an artist stepping back to admire his work. And the colors are there. The colors of all the flowers that you and I enjoy. The textures of sand and rock and wetness of water. It's all there. And after it's all done, the, the Bible says God stepped back and he saw that it was very good. Whoa. And then here's something even more awesome than that. God took this, this masterpiece, the sand, the water, the animals, the flowers, the planets, the stars. He took it all and he gave it to Adam and Eve. And he said, here, it is all yours, everything. I give it to you, Adam and Eve, and you can take care of it for me. And then he said, All of it is yours. Every tree is yours. Every fruit is yours. Every vegetable is yours. All of it, except this one tree right in the middle of your front yard. That tree is not for you. Oh, how can he be a good God and say that? What an awful, terrible God to deprive Adam and Eve of this beautiful tree in the middle. Of the, it, it could be in some other forest somewhere, but he put it in the middle of their front yard, and now he tells them, you can't eat that. That's awful. When he gave them all of the rest of the creation, I don't think so. But that's the lie that Adam and Eve believed when the devil came to them, when the slithering Satan comes to Eve, he got Adam and Eve to believe the first and what I think is his most popular lie, even today. God is not as good as he says he is. That was his approach to Adam and Eve. God isn't really all that good. So, what's your tree? in the middle of your front yard? What's your forbidden fruit? What is the thing that you are convinced you need in order to be happy? 
And when God tells you, I I want you to manage that, or I don't want you to have that, or he takes it away from you, or he insists that he's he's more important than it, and you say, God is not all that good. He's, he's not as good as he says he is. How could God, I mean, I worked hard for this money. How could God come and tell me that, that he wants it in certain ways? Or how could he even tell me that I'm mismanaging it or I'm being foolish with my finances? He's not that good. But I'm busy. How could God demand more of my time and attention? God isn't that good. Right, you see how we go through that and, and think that? That's the same lie that the devil gave to Adam and Eve. How, how can he be good if he's depriving you? Um, so have your Bibles, your Bible apps. Turn to James 1.17. And we need to respond to this lie that we believe that God is not good. It's so prevalent and it, it wells up in our hearts. And this word of God is going to destroy it. James 1 verse 17. God is not a taker. Our God, the true God, especially God the Father, is a giver. And James 1.17 shows that, proves that. I love seeing all you looking in your Bibles and on, on your Bible app. Here we, here we go. We say that God isn't good. Here's what the Bible says. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. You have so much goodness in your life. You have so many blessings. You, if you tried, you could not even count them all. If you gave thanks for five things every day, every morning, you would never run out of things to give thanks for. God gives you so much, just like he gave Adam and Eve so much. And you know what? God loves giving you things. God gets this giddy joy about pleasing you, like kids get, you know, when they come and they give you a present, and they're just kind of, they're more excited than you are, just because they want you to be excited. That's how God gives to you. He gives you these blessings, and he gets excited about, and every one of them is a good and perfect gift. Sometimes you see and feel that, but it's easy to not see that for the gifts that are harder for us to handle take more responsibility from us, or maybe cause us some emotional turmoil or suffering in some way. The job that God gives you, including your boss who's a jerk, is a good and perfect gift. The children God gives to you, including your spouse who sometimes acts like one, including your special needs kid, are good and perfect gifts. Your disorder or your disability, your sickness or your suffering, is a good and perfect gift. Don't say that God isn't good just because it doesn't feel like it. Go to the scriptures, go to James 1.17, and see how this is good and perfect gift comes from above. Um, and his best gift of all is his only son, who died for you and loves you and forgives you and will never leave you or forsake you. He is the good and perfect gift. 
And that God, who is your Father and promises to have, He always has your best in mind. Every gift is manufactured and engineered just for the you that you see in the mirror. In God's perfect way, He knows what you need and He gives it to you and that God will never change, James 1.17 says, right? He won't change like shifting shadows. He's not going to be there one minute and gone the next. He's always there, always faithful, and His gifts are always going to be there, always faithful for you. That's, that's the Father. That's God the Father. So, there is one thing that does need to change. God the Father doesn't change. But you and I need to change. This golf club needs to change. Uh, you and I need to change and, and repent of uh, believing that God isn't good and then change our attitude and change our priorities. We want to reflect the joy that God has in giving us things in giving, in responding to God and giving Him things and reflect that joy. Okay, now I want this golf club. Um, we had a neighborhood garage sale last week. Last weekend, and the neighborhood, the neighborhood is just buzzing with cars and, and people, and it just reminded me of garage sales, and I didn't have one, um, but I used to have them, and uh, I had this fear once in a while that at a garage sale, I would, I would put out an item and sell it very cheaply just to get rid of it, and it would be, it would turn out to be something that wasn't cheap, that was like a valuable collector's item, or, you know... A piece, a missing piece of this set that's being assembled around the world, and it's worth billions of dollars. You know, and I sold it for two dollars. You know, like this putter. This uh, I almost put this out in the garage sale. This this putter, and it uh, it just it wasn't working for me anymore. I don't know why the putter was not putting the ball in the hole. I need to get rid of it. And so um, I almost put it in the garage sale, but then I thought, boy, what. What if this putter, you know, I got it from my buddy, but what if he got it from somewhere and they got it from somewhere? And what if this is Tiger Woods's putter that he used to win major championships? I, I wouldn't want to exchange it for something cheap like a dollar bill. We tend to do that in our lives when we exchange Jesus uh, and we think that he's not good enough. Like, like I thought this putter wasn't good enough. Um, so we're going to cover God the Son now and see how he is good enough. So the second part of the blessing, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. When, uh, when somebody's face shines on you, what are they doing? They're smiling at you. When someone's face is shining on you, they're, they're pleased with you. Oh, hi. I'm, it's so nice to meet you. Right? A smile can just make your day when someone smiles at you. It means they're pleased with you. They're kind to you. That's what a smile does. The Bible says that Jesus, God's Son, is smiling upon you. He's pleased with you. He's kind to you. God the Son is, is good enough. But then, then we say he isn't. We want to exchange him. See, we, 
we run out of appreciating the value that he has and, uh, and we think, yeah, you know, Jesus, he's not quite enough for me. He's not, he's not doing the job anymore. I, I, I think I need to trade him out. I need to exchange him for something. He's just not doing what I need. Kind of like uh, kids can do for their parents when they think, you know, mom and dad, you were fun when I was three, four, five years old, but, uh, you know, getting to the point where, you, you know, I just, you're not doing it for me, mom and dad. I'm going to exchange you for the approval of my friends or my coaches, or my teachers. I don't, Mom and Dad, I don't need you anymore. And exchanging them for cheap. And we say that about Jesus, and we say God is not good enough, Jesus is not good enough, we exchange him for something. When you exchange Jesus for something, something that you think that you need, that's, that's what sin is. So, when you think that you need that drink or that sexual pleasure and you exchange Jesus for it, that's a sin. When you think that you need to have everything your way and that means that you have to control people and projects and plans and you're exchanging Jesus for that which is really an idol for you. So you see how quickly we, we devalue Jesus and we replace him with the value of other things. Um, I want to just blow this up by going to a section. So go to Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. We go to these things that, that promise us, promise to give us something better, promise to deliver us something more, promise to make us feel a way that we don't think Jesus can make us feel, and we go to them and we trust in them and we worship them, and they cannot deliver on those promises. They cannot. But only Jesus can, and we see, we see that here in Acts, 10, 4 to th- uh, Acts 4, 10 to 13. So, here's a story. Jesus had risen from the dead. He had ascended into heaven. And now we have uh, Peter and John and the other disciples and they're on fire for Jesus and they're doing ministry and they're preaching about the resurrection they're teaching about him and, uh, and God's working powerfully through their message and God also worked powerfully through miracles that he allows them to do and they had just performed a miracle. They had healed a crippled man. And then there were some squawkers in church, some church people who didn't like it and wanted to criticize it. That happens, you know. So some church people came and said that they didn't appreciate it. And now this is their answer to being criticized for healing a man and using Jesus' name to do this healing. This is now their answer. Acts 4, 10 to 13. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. See how how important the name of Jesus is to them? Jesus' name is more important than their own name. Jesus' name is good enough. Good enough for them to believe. Good enough for them to share and teach. Good enough for them to to use when they want to heal the crippled man and it works. They go on. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. See, so some people exchange Jesus for their own ideas of fulfillment like we do today and that's like 
They're saying that's like a builder who walks up to a, a cracked brick or a cracked piece of stone and says, whoa, I'm, I'm not using that. I'm, that's not the one I want to use. But that very piece, they didn't evaluate properly, and that actually ends up to be the cornerstone or the most important stone in the building, and now they're building without it. That's what it's like when we exchange Jesus for something else. They go on. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is good enough to save you from, from everything and for everything. And his name is the name that saves you. All those other things promise to save you, and they cannot. Or you convince yourself that a person or, or a pleasure can give you the fulfillment and happiness that Jesus can, right here, the Bible says, stop thinking that way. It cannot. It cannot save you. It cannot deliver you. But Jesus can, and he promises. Your kids, your screen time, sports, your paycheck, your promotion, your partying on the weekend... Pay attention to how much you believe that's going to make your life just be the best ever. How much you turn to those things to give you happiness that only Jesus can give you. And then ask him to give it to you, and he will. He promises that salvation. All right, finally. When they saw the courage, these are the other people now, it's describing the, the reaction. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Do you want to astonish people? Do you want people to look at you and say, Wow, I want what they have. Then, then be with Jesus, right? Says they, they noted these are just ordinary guys who have been with Jesus. Do you want to make a difference in the world? Do you want to be the best dad that you can? The best spouse that you can? The best worker? The best friend? The person that other people notice and say, boy, I really appreciate what a classmate, what a friend, what a roommate you are. Then be with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Listen to him in his word. Study his teaching. Read our Holy Word Pflugerville Bible reading plan for 2016. Read that stuff. That's being with Jesus. Spend quiet time with Him in prayer. And you lay out your heart and your needs and your worries and your fears. And you open your heart and you lay them out to Him. And that's when you are with Jesus. And believe me, you will impact and influence others more the more you are with Jesus. That's what happened for Peter and John. That makes him good enough. Finally, the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. I don't do this all the time. I wish I did it all the time. Sometimes I forget because I'm self-absorbed and self-centered in my own little world. Uh, but when I'm 
when I'm taking the off-ramp off I-35, you know, and then you're in the lineup of cars, or God forbid you're the first car in, in the left lane, and then the homeless people are walking their track, you know, right, right next to you and looking for goodies. When I have my wits about me and I'm thinking, what I want to do, what I like to do, is look at them. Right? Because don't you find you don't want to look at them? Because if you look at them, then there's eye contact, and they think you're going to have a $5 bill, or they're going to come to your window, and it's going to get messy. So it's easy to not want to look at them. But I, I tell myself, just look at them and acknowledge them. You know how powerful it is to have someone look at you? Right? If you were to introduce me to one of your friends, and I would come up and shake your friend's hand and say, and have my phone and go, Hey, hi, nice to meet you. That not much of a connection. Rude. Right? But if you bring your friend and I put my phone away, I say, Hey, hi, I'm Darren. But the eye contact is very important, right? We had Caleb Stanky up here last Sunday and coached him about eye contact as he's reading his essay. And so he didn't just bury his head in his paper, but he was looking at you as he was reading. And that made an impact, a heart impact on you. Eye contact does that. I love looking at you when I'm preaching and you're looking at me. Sometimes you're looking at me with your eyes closed, but that's okay. See how how that's meaningful? It's relational eye contact. And so I want to look at the homeless people just so that, just eye contact. And know what? I'm going to be honest. Most of the time, they don't come running my way when I just look at them. And I'll just look at them and nod, and they nod back or wave. How meaningful that is for them. I've had those people, when I've spent time with them, tell me that. When I'm on my motorcycle, they really feel special when I make eye contact with them. And it's then really hard for them to come up to me and ask for money because both my hands are occupied, so it's really a nice place to do that. But eye contact. Here's my point. Look what, look what it says God does to you here. Eye contact is powerful and the Holy Spirit is good all the time. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God is turning his face, not away from you, toward you. And he's looking you in the eye. And he's saying, I see you. And when he says, I see you, it means I know you, I understand you, I'm observing you, I'm watching you, I'm taking care of you. I see you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And then we sometimes think that God is tuned out on us. We sometimes think that he's turning his attention towards some other problem in the world or ignoring what I need or not taking care of me the way that I want. And we say, no, God is not good all the time. And let's let Romans answer this. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. All right, turn your Bibles there. When we say God is not good all the time, this says, yes, he is. It's the Holy Spirit all the time. So, those who live, Romans 8, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh, when the Bible uses that word flesh, normally, in this circumstance especially, flesh means your natural human instincts, your default settings, and believe me, they're not godly. 
So, our, our human instincts are not naturally godly, but we defer to those because they're our default setting. So now it says, when you think that way, when you live according to the flesh, those people have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Not good stuff. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit... So it's contrasting what's natural to me and my instincts inside of me versus the Spirit coming to me, God, from the outside. Right? Their mindset on what the Spirit desires, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The Spirit sees you. Do you want a life of peace? Do you want fulfillment and a life that is truly life and not like all the other people in the world who are living by their natural human instincts and think that's the way to go? You want something special and godly? Then, as the Holy Spirit turns his face toward you and he sees you, Know what he wants you to do? Nothing other than see him too. He wants you to see the forgiveness of God that is always yours. He wants you to see the merciful cross of Jesus and then nothing can change it or take it away from you. He wants you to see the powerful, empty tomb of Jesus that gives you the power to live a new life. He wants you to see your future and your destiny in the eternal life of heaven. And when you see that, you'll be convinced that God is good all the time. Look at him, see him in scriptures, and remember, remember his love. Toy Story. So I showed that picture, uh, the bigger picture, at the beginning of the sermon, and now it's on the screen in a smaller picture. But there's one item about that picture I didn't tell you about, one detail. That picture of Woody, the, the pull-string cowboy doll of Andy's, and Woody was worried that Andy was giving up on him, didn't love him. But there's one thing that solved that for, for Woody, this cowboy doll. He was looking on the bottom of his boot, where there were four letters printed, A, N, D, Y. Printed on Woody's boot, meaning that Woody didn't belong to Woody. Woody wasn't owned by Buzz Lightyear. Woody belonged to and was owned by Andy because he had his name on him. When you wonder how good God is, when you struggle with connecting, and, or if you just want to get closer to God, you need to remember this. That you were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And on your boot is written, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that means that you aren't controlled by sin and temptation, that you aren't owned by trouble and suffering, that you are not your sin, and you're not dominated by the devil's lies, because those names aren't there. 
But God's very name, the name that is powerful, the name that is above all names, is on you. God the Father is good. He wants the best for you all the time. God the Son is good. He's good enough for you. You need nothing else to save you. And God the Holy Spirit is good. He connects with you and gives you life and peace. All the time. Amen. Let's pray. Faithful God, you give us so many blessings, physical blessings, and especially spiritual blessings. We wish we had baskets big enough to hold them all and eyes and hearts big enough to see and appreciate them all. But help us with this today, God. Help us to appreciate just a few more than we already do. And help us to have a faith that expands our basket to be just a little bigger so that we might experience more of you and take advantage of more of the gifts and blessings that you have for us and the opportunities. We thank you for these words today, this Aaronic benediction that you gave to the Israelites and that you speak to us, these words of Scripture that, that convince us that you are good all the time. And we ask you to help us uncross our fingers and to hold them in praying hands. And when we say God is good all the time, for us to mean it and believe it and live it, because you do too. Amen.